I invite you to open a Bible with me to the Old Testament book of Judges. We will be reading together from God's Word in Judges chapter 16 in just a few moments. I'll give you plenty of time to turn back there, and while you're turning, let me echo the welcome. We have a number of guests with us. Welcome. We're very glad that you're here. We want to open up God's Word at this point in our gathering with the songs that we have sung in our minds, especially this, this last refrain, asking God to be there for us, knowing that He will be there for us as we pour out our hearts and completely depend upon Him. I hope that you've had a good weekend. We had a very good day yesterday throughout this building. Fifty of your brothers in Christ, members of this church family gathered together yesterday to focus on the pivotal importance of leadership. And I was so encouraged by so many of you being here. We want to do everything that we can to grow in our wisdom, our knowledge, our strength in the Lord to be the leaders, the lights, all of us in this community that we can be. There are a number of very strong men in this congregation, much stronger than I am, but I don't know of any who are stronger than this man we can read about. Many of us have been reading about, if you're following along with our daily Bible reading schedule this past week, even our children learn who this strongest man in the Bible was from a very young age. If time allowed, we could go back and we could read in Judges 14 and Judges 15 about the incredible physical strength of this man. We could read about him tearing a lion to pieces with his bare hands, or capturing 300 foxes and tying them tail to tail together and putting a torch in the middle and letting them go in the grain field of the Philistines, or facing off with a thousand of those Philistines armed with nothing but the fresh jawbone of a donkey, or getting frustrated and going out and picking up the doors of the gate of a city with its doorposts and bar attached and carrying it 40 miles, picking it up as it were in this parking lot, carrying it to Scottsburg and back. This man was an incredibly strong man. But that's not really what I would like to focus on with you this morning. I can't really relate to those sorts of feats of physical strength. And I feel very confident asserting that you really can't either, however it is that you like to look at yourself in the mirror. But there is a note that is very relatable for all of us, 
men and women, young and old, whatever it is that you do for a living, whatever your, your level of education, in spite of his extraordinary physical strength, there was at least one sense in which this man was like any other man. And so if your Bible is open there to Judges chapter 16, we'll dive in in verse 4. Judges 16 verse 4, where we find this man involved now in a third dangerous relationship. Judges chapter 16 and verse 4 tells us that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. They're, they're tired of their grain fields being decimated by fire and the gates of their cities being carried 40 miles away. And so maybe this is the end that we need. If you'll seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him. A thousand of them hadn't been able to do that just a little before. But we want to bind him to humble him. And if you do that, Delilah, we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. An incredible fortune. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And I want you to notice with me. Let's just walk through Judges 16 and notice how he gets closer and closer to the edge, increasingly dangerous in his responses to these repeated enticements, all leading closer and closer to the truth, closer and closer to, then I shall become weak and be like, here is our key phrase for the morning, any other man. For instance, in verse 7, he says to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. And she had men lying in ambush, in an inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Now, I, I don't know about you. I, I'd like to think that I would learn something from that interaction if I were Samson. I mean, I... I heard her please tell me in verse 6, and it just so happens that 
what I told her would make me vulnerable and, and able to be subdued by my greatest of enemies, you know, it turns out that, that she did that and, and she had some men lying in wait, but not Samson. No, he gets a little closer to the edge in verse 11 when she asks and he says, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And she does the same things using new ropes. But we read in verse 12 that he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Are we learning anything yet? Uh, apparently not, because in verse 13 she says, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And if you remember from our time in God's Word, Last Sunday morning, you know that he is getting dangerously close to the edge now. From before the time he was born, he had been set apart by God as a, a Nazarite. His mother had taken this Nazarite vow where, among other things, a razor was never to touch his head. And so we start with some bowstrings, okay? In one sense, maybe innocent enough. Then we move from bowstrings to ropes. But then we get his hair involved. And of course, he hasn't told her completely all the truth. In verse 14, he awakes from his sleep. He pulls away the pin, the loom, and the web. But finally, in verse 15, she says, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? I encourage you to remember that language. You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day, he wasn't the first person in the Bible to experience this sort of thing. It is curiously similar to what Joseph experienced in Genesis 37. Day after day after day. But Samson is not Joseph. Samson doesn't have the heart of Joseph. His soul is vexed to death. And he told her, notice this language, all his heart. You see, it's one thing to be able to pick up the doors of the gate of a city. That's impressive. Here, he opens the gate of his heart. And he tells her everything. 
A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like, here it is again, any other Man, if we're paying attention, it is not surprising in verse 18 that Delilah, when she sees that he has told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again, for he has told me all his heart. The gate is wide open. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. And his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. You see, this is how this gradual decline slowly happens. I know what I'm doing I'm in charge of this. I can handle this. I know perhaps this is dangerous, but I can stop it anytime I want. And in fact, when I've gone over the edge, it'll be just like last time. It's never cost me everything. That is what is in his mind as he wakes up. But you want to tragic phrase he did not know that the Lord had left him the Philistines seized him they gouged out his eyes they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill like a captive animal in the prison. Extraordinary physical strength. I mean, the sort of man that anyone would look at and know, you don't mess with him, you don't get on his bad side. I mean, you talk about intimidating, commanding respect just by what you're able to do with your physical body, perhaps striking fear, not just into your enemies, but this reverent, awe-filled sword of fear, even in your closest of friends. And yet, in spite of his extraordinary physical strength, Samson was remarkably like any other man. In what sense? Let's open our Bibles. Keep a marker there in Judges 16. We'll come back eventually. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, right in the heart of your Bible. Proverbs chapter 6, where we'll read together in just a few moments. The book of Proverbs, full of so much wisdom along these lines. And as we read from Proverbs 6, as we have this phrase in Judges chapter 6, in, or 16, in our minds, could I encourage you, whomever you are this morning, let, let's not read that from the standpoint of like any other male. 
No, let's read this as it is so often used in Scripture to describe any other human. Whomever you are, male or female. Samson, an extraordinary physical specimen. But in this sense, in this more important sense than what he could do with his physical muscles, he's just like any other man. In what sense? Is your Bible open there to Proverbs chapter 6? You can see with me in verse 27 that the same sort of wisdom is under, under consideration. Can a man, just in general, and again read that as, can a human, can, can anybody, can a man, can, can a woman carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Now maybe you've heard that Many, many times. I'd encourage you to slow down long enough to imagine what is being described. You know, we, we're, we're getting glimpses here early in the morning recently of cooler weather on the horizon. And many are, are excited about that, right? The, the sort of season where maybe in your backyard you have some sort of a fire pit. It's been nice and sunny throughout the day and there's a chill that begins to settle as the sun goes down and Friday evening is a perfect time to put some wood, light a fire in that fire pit. Let's say that you have one of these in your backyard. And your wife comes out and says, you know, we're having company over. I, I thought that I had mentioned to you, maybe I forgot. I, I would love if we could move this to the other side of the house. But you've already lit it on fire. And maybe you've got a, just a small stubborn streak in your, your heart and, and you're not sure that you want to completely put that out and get all of the, the wood out and let it cool off and then pick it up and it's kind of heavy and so you got to keep it really close to your chest otherwise you're going to fall over no you think you'll just go ahead and do this with the fire raging on the inside good idea bad idea everyone in this room even those of us with a little bit of a stubborn streak realize Bad idea. I can't carry fire next to my chest and not have my clothes catch on fire. Solomon's not done with us yet. Can one walk on hot coals? I mean, you know, you want to make things interesting. We got a nice long aisle here. We could have four feet wide, however long that aisle is, Full of hot coals. Take your shoes off. Take your socks off. If you just have enough confidence in yourself or, or faith in someone or something, you'll be able to walk on these hot coals taking your time. It's a nice Sunday afternoon stroll down this aisle as you walk on red hot coals. What's going to happen? 
the same thing that has happened for 3,000 years from the time that Solomon wrote these wisdom verses is going to happen. You see, whether you're incredibly strong or just itty-bitty puny, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a male or female, whether you're slave or free, whether you're highly educated or you just learned the basics from grandma and grandpa, whatever it is, whomever you are in this sense, you are just like any other person. Well, let's make that a little personal before we are done. Open your Bibles with me to the New Testament book of James. James chapter 1. Whomever you are, you are like any other man this morning. In the sense that you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted this week. I'm going to be tempted this week. Praise God that he has told us ahead of time. That he hasn't just captured historical examples of men and women, some who made good decisions, some bad. He's made it really personal, really easy to understand in passages like James chapter 1 and verse 14 again whomever you are whomever I am this morning we're talking each person like any other person each person James 1 14 is tempted when he we could just as easily say she is lured and enticed by his own desire You remember that language. We ran across it a couple of times in Judges chapter 16. This was not simply a matter of what Samson knew factually, intellectually in his skull. This was his heart. The battleground in Judges chapter 16 is Samson's heart his heart is blind because of his pride his heart is being lured and enticed by someone had he listened to his father in judges chapter 14 would have told him repeatedly in fact did about somebody else samson bad idea dangerous trajectory you need to think carefully before you open the gate of your heart to this sort of temptation each person is tempted I am tempted you are tempted when we are lured you don't have to stay there come on out here Let me tell you about what it's like out here. In fact, the good life is out here. And if you do this, it will feel good. It will look good. It will taste good. It will sound good. It will make you good in the eyes of others. Number two, 
Your temptations are not unique. Whomever you are, you are like any other man in that your temptations are not unique. Keep a hand there in Judges or James chapter 1. Go with me a little before this to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll come right back to James chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 makes it clear why we ought to read our Old Testaments. Why it is worth reading a book like Judges. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. These things happen to them as an example and they're written down for my instruction, for your instruction. You see, we don't just gather together on the Lord's Day and talk about us. We talk about God, how awesome He is and His instructions for our lives. We on whom the ends of the ages has come. Therefore, with, with that in mind, let him, let her, let anyone. You see, on this front, I'm just like any other man. You're just like any other woman. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. The packaging may be different. The bells and whistles surrounding it may be different. But listen, your temptations are not unique. My temptations are not unique, which means I can't somehow throw up a red flag and say, well, nobody's ever been through what I go through. No one's ever faced what I've faced. No one's ever had it as tough as I've had. Nonsense. We have thousands and thousands of years of human beings who have been tempted ever since the Garden of Eden. I'm tempted, you're tempted like any other man. But like any other man, my creator, your creator, is faithful. You see, this is not the sort of backhanded, twisted pep talk where we all get together and commiserate about how big of a mess we all are and say to each other, well, good luck, you know, I'll try and keep my mess at a minimum and... Uh, and I hope you don't make too much of a dumpster fire of your life. I'll see you next week, sort of stuff. No, the, the attention is not on me. The attention is not on you. The diagnosis is clear, but our attention is pointed to the Creator. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is If somebody moves in this scenario, it's not God. And there is always a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation, verse 13, that has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. I want you to listen to this promise, perhaps with fresh ears this morning. 
he will not let. The same God who did not let the earth slip off of its axis and hurtle into space and immediately snuff out all of our lives because we got too close or too far away from the sun. The same God who kept the earth exactly where it needed to be while you and I slept will not let you, will not let me be tempted beyond our ability. With the temptation, he will provide. There is always a way of escape. Is your hand still there in James chapter 1? Here's the problem. I don't always take that way of escape, and neither do you. And like any other man, I am not immune. You are not immune to the catastrophic effects of sin. We read earlier from James 1 verse 14, look at verse 15. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There are enough people in this big room where we can confidently say, just about every variety of pain that human beings can experience is one way or another represented by the people, the stories, the histories, the experiences of people in this room. And when push comes to shove, you drill down far enough and the root of that pain that is present all over this room in our lives, the root of that pain is sin. Maybe I made the sinful choice. Maybe my spouse made the sinful choices. Maybe my dad, my mother, my grandfather, my grandmother, someone I work with, someone I went to school with, someone I've never met, but forever altered the course of my life. The pain that is universally experienced by human beings, not just in this room, but all over the world, one way or another, can be traced to sin. And if that's the end of the story, what a sad story. But you open your Bibles with me quickly to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. The reason that you got out of bed on a Sunday morning is because that's, that's not the end of the story. Like any other man, like any other woman, you can be forgiven. Read it with me from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to write, You were dead like any other man, any other woman, in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we Oh, you see, you're just like any other man. Once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But you remember who in all of this scenario is faithful 
but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let's just pause for a moment. Wonderful news. How is it that I can be made alive from the dead? We'll come right back there. Could I lean on Paul in another letter where he writes to those in Rome? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's how we're raised with Him. Ephesians 2, 6, seated with Him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works. You can't be strong enough or rich enough or clever enough. No, we're His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to hear me loud and clear this morning. You can be forgiven like any other man. Any other woman. And you can leave here stronger than Samson. How? I asked you to mark your Bibles there in Judges chapter 16. Could I, could I show you what I believe is the critical flaw in Samson's thinking? The, the critical misconception that got him in this mess. It's Judges 16, verse 17 where he says to Delilah, as he tells her all his heart, a razor has never come upon my head. Judges 16, 17. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength, my strength shall leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. How did Samson really get himself into trouble? This is my strength. And brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, this is the way we all get into a world of trouble. This is my body. Nobody's going to tell me what to do with my body. This is my time. I'm going to spend it however I want to spend it. These are my talents. Look at how I can use these talents and get everybody's attention. This is my life. I'm going to spend it in whatever way I want to spend it. But Ephesians chapter 6 shows us how when we are weak, as we're going to sing in just a moment, then we can be strong. When we realize how desperately we need God. Then, 
In the language of Ephesians 6 verse 10, we can be strong in the Lord. It's not my strength, it's His strength. The strength of His mind. I can stand because I'm putting on His armor. I'm surrounding myself with truth. I'm taking up faith as a shield. I'm carrying His sword of the Spirit, His Word with me day by day in my heart that teaches me to guard my heart with all vigilance because from my heart flow all of the issues of life. That's how we can stand against the schemes of the devil. That's how we can be strong in a way that Samson wasn't. And so we're going to stand in just a moment and sing this song, encouraging you to realize where the source of real strength is. And as we sing the words of this song, there are, are two words that I hope really resonate in, in your mind, whomever you are. There's some of the last words that we read Samson saying at the very end of his life. He, he calls out to God in Judges 16. What do you say when you've wasted so much potential? His plea in two words is, remember me. It makes me think of a, a man who looked like everybody else, but he wasn't like any other man. He prayed to God, to God in a garden just outside of Jerusalem, and in many ways his prayer was, Remember me, but help me do whatever I have to do to fulfill my mission. Luke tells us that an angel strengthened the Lord Jesus in that garden. And he went all the way to the cross, as we remembered earlier, that we might have abundant life. In fact, there was a man on a cross next to him. What do you say when you're at the end of your life and you know you're, you're suffering the consequences of your own actions? He, he said to Jesus, remember me. And I love how Psalm 25 shows us how we can pray the same thing. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. And so I don't know what sort of a mess you brought in this room with you this morning. But I know that your creator knows exactly where you are and how you got in the mess you're in. And he's provided the way of escape. Because his son looked like any other man but didn't live like any other man. and He died for your sins. And if by faith you're ready to be buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, you can leave here forgiven. Maybe your life is a mess this morning and not a soul knows it. Could we plead with you to make sure that your life is right with your Creator before you leave this room this morning? 
This is his invitation. And if we can help you in responding to it, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?